Hello and welcome to Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette. This is your Locked On Canucks podcast for Tuesday, October 1st. Ooh, into the spooky season we are. And yes, that makes complete sense because yesterday brought with it some frightening news. Not only did the Locked On Canucks podcast make its debut, but... The show was almost immediately dated, as within three hours of the episode uh, being released, Sven Berchi hit the waiver wire for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, the Canucks made those cuts that we were going over on yesterday's show as I talked about the forward core. I kind of planned it out to talk about defense and goaltending today and where the team is at as they head into the new year, but... I don't think I can do that today, not uh, necessarily. The team seemingly has uh, changed the narrative on me, given me all sorts of things to talk about, not just for today, I would imagine, but for the rest of the week as well. We are one day away from the launch of this year's NHL season. Yes, folks, so close we can taste it, though I'm not sure how much this beginning of the season period for the Canucks is going to really feel like the team as we will know it over the course of the rest of the year. Because, yes, Vancouver did play eight preseason games this year, but never at any point did they ice what we would consider to be their opening day roster. That tends to be the way things go in preseason as you get into games seven or eight of eight, however many you're playing uh, in any given year. Teams kind of tend to put out what is going to be their opening night roster and allow their lines to sort of coalesce and gel together. Now, there's a couple reasons why that didn't happen for the Canucks this year, of course. Injuries, concussion problems, uh, an ugly hit from behind on Brock Besser that knocked him out of the lineup. Probably, maybe, had uh, the Canucks brass and head coach Travis Green feeling a little bit more cautious about whether or not they should play some of their top guys in the final meaningless game of the exhibition schedule. Of course, there were also all sorts of decisions to be made at the bottom end of the roster as far as the forwards go. We talked about that at length on yesterday's show, and therefore you kind of want to squeeze in the bubble guys that you're not quite sure about or haven't made up a decision on into that final game to give them one last chance to make a name for themselves before you have to go and make those tough decisions. Adam Gaudet, one of those guys who had a wonderful final game of the preseason, Really a wonderful preseason all around for Adam Gaudet, and as a result, despite the fact that I spent most of the day yesterday telling you that he probably was not going to stick on this team simply for depth reasons down the line, he does, in fact, make the final roster of 23, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yes, on the bright side, it is good to see that what the Canucks say all summer long, that if a player comes in and has the kind of camp that cannot be ignored, that they are forced to make room for a player who has an incredible training camp and exhibition schedule, uh, that they will do that. And it hasn't been the case in the past. For example, you go back a couple years, Troy Stetcher should have made this team out of training camp. He was one of the best defensemen in camp all camp long into the exhibition schedule as well. But when the regular season came around, they sent him down to the minors for four games and called him back up as soon as Eric Goodbranson got injured. Now, I don't want to think about the alternate reality where Eric Goodbranson doesn't get injured, and Troy Stetcher is toiling down there forever, waiting for his shot. Maybe, maybe that's a good sign for Sven Berchi, who ultimately is the guy who pays the price for Adam Gondet's incredible preseason. And 
What a catch-22 for Sven Berchi as well. You have tremendous chemistry with this guy in the preseason, played fantastically well with Adam Gaudet, and the guy that you play so well with and helped set up the goals that he scored, and he set you up as well. Uh, helping his success contributes to your downfall and getting waived to be sent down to the Utica Comets. Look, I'm not very happy about this move. I'm a big supporter of Sven Berchi, and not because I think the man is exceptionally good at designing hats, as the players have been designing hats uh, for the Canucks over the last couple seasons. I myself own a powder blue Sven Berchi uh, V, I guess, flying V. uh, Not the flying V. It's the weird sort of Vachon Pickles logo uh, V with Johnny Canuck in it. Regardless, Sven Berchi designed a very good hat. I own the hat. I like the hat. That has nothing to do with my opinions on Sven Berchi as a hockey player, however. He is a hockey player that I took quite a shine to over the years as he played and showed pretty strong chemistry with Bo Horvat on a night-in and night-out basis. Now, has injury woes uh, been a problem for Sven Berchi? Absolutely. Uh, you know, being able to stay healthy and play close to a full 82 games, no, he's not been able to do that over the course of the time that he's been with the Vancouver Canucks. But I said yesterday, and I fully believe, I don't believe that Sven Berchi is an injury-prone player. I think he's been an unlucky player. I think concussions have certainly been unlucky. Uh, I believe, you know, that the the hit that he took that knocked him out from behind, I believe in a game against Nashville last year, that could have happened to anybody, and it would have been a concussion. Should have been a suspendable act to hit somebody the way that he got hit. It is not Sven Berchi's fault that he took a hit like that and was not able to come back for a good long while. These things happen. But I also said yesterday, and I also do believe, for people who were painting these concussions to be a huge problem that he could never come back from, that it's going to be a consistent issue throughout his entire career. That is entirely possible, but it is also possible that you could see something like when the Canucks let go of Willie Mitchell. What happened to Willie Mitchell? Well, he went on to win the Stanley Cup with the Los Angeles Kings as a fantastic defenseman at a time when the Canucks very much needed a defenseman exactly like Willie Mitchell. Would it have been good to hang on to him at that time? Yes, very much it would have been. So, should we hang on to Sven Berchi through his concussion issues as well? Look, it's going to happen by the time you hear this, probably, uh, depending on when you listen to it, whether it's first thing in the morning. Maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you're listening in the afternoon and it has. The idea that if Sven Berchi clears waivers, then this outrage is all for nothing. And people who are getting angry have nothing to be angry about because, look, nobody wanted him. He's down in the minors. It's all fine. Somebody can get injured, and he'll be called up again, and he'll be right back here in two weeks, and don't even worry about it. The thing to be mad about is not the fact that Sven Berchi is going to start the year in Utica. I mean, yes, that is something to be mad about, considering at worst, at absolute worst, Sven Berchi is the seventh best forward, maybe eighth, maybe, I would say seventh best forward available to the Vancouver Canucks at this time. Which means if we live in a meritocracy, which we want to believe that we do with Adam Gaudet making the team, we don't. More on that later. We definitely do not live in a meritocracy. We do not. But if we do, a guy who is your seventh best forward should not be waived and being sent down to the farm to start the year. That should not be how these things work. This guy can help this team win games. This team needs offense And even if you want to point to the fact that, well, he's never done more than 35 points in his career, prorated over the course of an injury season, he 
would have put up maybe 43 points in a good year. That's still points and specifically goals that would be very valuable to a Vancouver Canucks team, which, yes, has added some guys with scoring punch over the last six months, whether that's a Tanner Pearson or a JT Miller or a, a Michael Furland. Certainly all of these guys can help with the offensive woes, but that doesn't mean that somebody who's already been here and demonstrated a clear ability to score goals and put up points and play very well with your offensive contributing players like Bo Horvat and Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson even. They played together a little bit at the start of last year. It doesn't mean that a guy who's already shown he can do that, who did have some concussion problems last year, should just be thrown out like the proverbial baby in the bathwater. Antoine Roussel is injured to start this year. Antoine Roussel was injured to start last year. Should we just go ahead and get rid of Antoine Roussel now? Because, look, I just I got some question marks about this guy's health. No. We understand that when Antoine Roussel is in the lineup, he's a very valuable contributor to this team and can do all kinds of things that replacement-level players cannot. That is the issue with Van Berchi. It is very much reminiscent of one of the darkest days in franchise history. That might be an exaggeration. There's some very dark days, obviously, in Canucks history, of course. But one of the darkest days of the modern era of Canucks fandom is April 8th, 2015. You may remember it as the day you received a push notification from one of the many sports apps on your phone telling you that the Vancouver Canucks had just signed lengthy and costly contract extensions with Lucas Pisa and Derek Dorsett after a full season of watching Lucas Pisa and Derek Dorsett play very poorly. Now, is it a problem? Was it a problem at that time? Was the problem specifically that Lucas Pisa and Derek Dorsett got signed to extensions? Not necessarily. The problem is what it reveals about the mindset of the Canucks coaching staff and management group. Jim Benning came out and said it yesterday. Said it flat out. We figured that we had enough scoring wingers that Sven Berchi became a redundancy and it's part of the evolution of our team that we have good scoring forwards and we don't need him anymore. The problem with that is the idea that if you have six scoring forwards, well, that's enough. Only need six scorers and now I need six muckers. That's not how the NHL works anymore. That's really not how the NHL has worked for quite a long time, several seasons now at, at the very least. Teams that make the playoffs, and certainly the last four, five teams that have won the Stanley Cup, all have one thing in common. They're not built with a top six and a bottom six. They're built with a top nine and a fourth line. You are not going to compete in the NHL today with two lines that cannot score. And look, maybe if Senberchi was here to start the year and he was playing with Brandon Sutter, the scoring punch on those bottom two lines wouldn't really be altered all that much by the fact that he was here. Because the real problem with the way the bottom two lines of the Canucks forward group are constructed is that you have two centers with zero offensive upside. You want to talk about Sven Berchi not being able to contribute more than 35 points? Say the same thing about the center 
who starts the year on the third line. Brandon Sutter, whose career high of 40 points, came back in his second year in Carolina, and he has not been close to it since. You want to talk about guys who are injury-prone, who cannot stay healthy for the good of the team. Look no further than Brandon Sutter as well. Anything that you want to say critical about Sven Berchi also applies to Brandon Sutter. The difference is, if you were to set him loose on a breakaway, or if you were to set him free into an offensive situation, Sven Berchi is going to score more than Brandon Sutter will. End of the conversation. Now you can say Brandon Sutter does things on the penalty kill that Sven Berchi can't do. That's true. But the Cucks penalty kill last year largely was terrible as well. So perhaps the guys that were being identified as quote-unquote key penalty killers could take a break from that and you could put out an unorthodox choice like a Sven Berchi. Hell, even a Nikolai Goldobin I would have taken as a penalty killer at times last year the way the penalty kill was going in October and November. Awful. Awful. But that's getting away from the heart of the issue, which is that the Canucks had the opportunity this year, as I stressed many times on yesterday's show, to finally put together a roster that had three lines that could score. And you don't even need... Nikolai Goldobin to be a part of that. The idea that, oh, this obsession with the scoring third line needs Goldobin. No. I said yesterday, as a big Goldobin supporter last season, and somebody who actually thinks that he has, I really do believe that he has improved the facets of his game that have been such cause for consternation and criticism. Battling along the boards, fighting for loose pucks, trying to be more defensively responsible. Does he do all of those things all the time? Is he the best back checker in the world? No. Has he certainly put in the work to improve on the things that he was being criticized for? Yes, I do believe that. But I am fully willing to concede the Nikolai Goldobin battle. I do think that he maybe could have had a spot as an extra forward on this team because very easy to replace bottom-end players. If a fourth-line winger gets injured, you can easily grab one of those guys off waivers at any time of the year. It is harder to replace someone in your top six. That's exactly why you shouldn't be waiving Sven Berchi as well. Because look, if Sven Berchi clears waivers today, that doesn't mean that he's a bad player and it doesn't mean that nobody wants him. It means that this is a time of year where teams are so focused on their own rosters and so focused on all of what they have going on that they're maybe not even paying attention to what's available to them on the waiver wire. And if they are, and if they're the Edmonton Oilers, for example, then maybe they do want a guy like Sven Berchi to walk onto their roster with the abysmal winger depth that they have available to them, but they just simply cannot make it work from a salary cap perspective at this time. It doesn't mean that the Canucks were right to waive Berchi. It doesn't mean that Berchi is a bad player. It means that this is the time of year where you can sneak a guy like Sven Berchi down to the minors if you believe that's what you really have to do. The problem, though, is that the guys that they elected to keep over Sven Berchi, whether it's a Tyler Mott or a Tim Schaller or a Louis Erickson, Louis might not be the best example at this time, but those Bottom line grinders, the guys that you want to put out there to play the heavy game with Jay Beagle night in and night out, those guys are available on waivers just about every day of the year, all season long. You can always go out and get yourself somebody to play you fourth line minutes 
on the waiver wire. Those are the kind of guys that are on waivers throughout the season. If a Sven Berchi were to hit the waiver wire in the middle of the season, you can bet that a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets, who has $13 million in cap space available and saw all kinds of forwards walk through free agency this summer and replaced by nobody, would be very interested in him. Heck, they might be interested in him right now. By the time you listen to this, Sven Berchi might be a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. Could be a member of the Ottawa Senators, the Anaheim Ducks, LA Kings even. There's tons of teams who have the cap space available to do it and probably would be interested in adding him. San Jose Sharks, perhaps. Would seem like a classic Carolina Hurricanes move to grab this guy off the waiver wire. They, however, are definitely one of the teams that does not have the salary room available to them. Even if he clears, that doesn't make this right. That doesn't make this a good move. Because I said yesterday, and this is something I believed all summer long, that I've been so excited for this time of the year to see what this roster heading into the season was going to look like, this opportunity to finally have three scoring lines, because you could have put together a third line of Adam Goddett centering Sven Berchi and Josh Levo. Those are three guys who play a relatively responsible game but also can chip in with offense at the other end, and then you've got a fourth line of Sutter, Beagle, and Schaller, or Erickson, or Vertanen, take your pick. That's how this team should be constructed if it wants to win enough games to make the playoffs and be a contender. I've been looking forward to this moment all summer long to see how these cuts were going to shake down and exactly what kind of team we'd be left looking at. It was like Christmas Eve watching this roster come together. And what I got yesterday on Christmas morning was like coming downstairs, hitting up the bottom of the Christmas tree, no presents wrapped up for you, just an envelope, and inside it says you're headed to boarding school, son. Pack your stuff. Get out of here. That's the kind of coal in the stocking, however you want to put it. Bad presents, bad news. That's what we got. Because this team does not want to construct a team a roster like this. It had the opportunity to do it. It had the personnel to do it for the first time since this team was a contender back in 2011. For the first time since then, they actually had the players available to them to put together a roster that could consistently threaten on offense up and down the lineup, and they chose not to do it. They weren't forced out of it. Cap concerns didn't force their hand. They chose not to do it. And if this season doesn't go well, if this season doesn't end the way people want it to, remember that they made this decision to start the year. And I don't want to be negative. I really do not. I don't want to come on this show and lambast the team day in and day out. I wouldn't sign on to do a daily Canucks podcast if I didn't care about the team. I wouldn't even feel disappointed by the things that they do if I wouldn't care about the team. But anytime anyone criticizes the Canucks, anytime anyone criticizes Jim Benning, the reaction on Twitter is always, well, you obviously don't even like the team if you feel this way. No, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to feel like this when the team does things. But you go back over the last six years now, And there have not been a lot of encouraging moments. There have not been 
a lot of signs from this front office group that they know exactly what they're doing. The drafting has been tremendous. There's no question about that. The drafting over the last couple of years, selecting Quinn Hughes, selecting Elias Pettersson, selecting even Bo Horvat, if you want to go back to the Mike Gillis years. The drafting has been very good over the last little while, but that is a Judd Brackett thing. That is not a Jim Benning thing. You could just make Judd Brackett the general manager if that's the only thing that you care about. If the only thing that you can point to that Jim Benning is doing right and say, well, look at this. Look at this one thing that this guy does so great that other people in the past did not do. He's not really responsible for that. That's Judd Brackett. Judd Brackett makes those decisions. Judd Brackett. Jim Benning didn't even want to draft Elias Pettersson. John Weisbrod didn't want to draft Elias Pettersson. They had to be talked into it by their staff, including Trevor Linden, including the guy that they stabbed in the back and forced out of the organization one year later. The deciding vote to draft Elias Pettersson got shoved out of the front office before EP could play a single game. That's crazy. Crazy. But again, we do not live in a meritocracy. If we did... The Vancouver Canucks would not be doing another thing that I said that they wouldn't do yesterday. They're coming into the year with 14 forwards and 7 defensemen, something that they haven't done in a very long time. I haven't checked exactly the last time that this happened, but if memory serves me correctly, as I said yesterday, you go back over the last 12 years, and I'm pretty sure it's consistently been 8 defensemen and 13 forwards. The reason why they're going with 14 is because they simply do not know what to do with Louis Erickson. Louis Erickson did not get cut from this team, but he hasn't exactly made it either. He is currently a $6 million 14th forward. And Adam Gaudet is currently a waiver-exempt 13th forward. Congratulations, kid. You made the team, but we're not even going to put you in the lineup for opening night. We're going to get rid of a player that we could have kept so that you can sit in the press box and eat popcorn instead of going down to the minors and playing 20 minutes a night in every situation, which is definitely something that you could have done, and it wouldn't have cost us anything. It would not have cost us any assets. Nothing would have happened there. Everything would be fine. People would be a little bit mad that maybe Goddard didn't make the team after the camp that he had, but I think people overall would understand that this is good for the team to have good players on the farm, good call-up possibilities, throughout the year. Maybe that's true of Berchi as well. Maybe maybe the people who are getting angry at the people who are upset by this are correct that Berchi could be back in two, three weeks. But if that's the case, why even send him down? Why wouldn't you just let him figure it out right now? He, he had a good preseason. Had four points in five games, something like that. Looked like a valuable contributor pretty well every single time he was on the ice, certainly when he was playing with Adam Gaudet. The idea that he's slow or hesitant or hasn't gotten over his concussion or he's playing fearful, I didn't see that player in the preseason. This seems like a narrative that people have concocted after the fact to come up with a justification for why this has happened. And there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of that anytime the Canucks do something that's rather objectionable. 
this portion of the fan base that wants to go along with every single thing that this management group does will just concoct some reason why this makes sense because, of course, they must know something that we don't. They have the jobs that they do. No, we do not live in a meritocracy. If we did, Tyler Mott wouldn't be on this team. Louis Erickson wouldn't be on this team. It's like this whole city has Stockholm Syndrome sometimes. The idea that because Jim Benning is the general manager of this team and has been for upwards of five years now, that he's the only person available to be the general manager of this team. No. Anyone could be the GM. You could be the GM. Dave Nonis could be the GM. I miss Dave Nonis at times like this because for all his faults, what's the worst thing you could say about Dave Nonis? He was too conservative. He didn't do anything. He sat on his hands unless he was sure he had a 100% foolproof plan, a sure bet. He didn't make risky choices. He didn't bet on things. He went with the sure thing every time, and as a result, he often didn't do much of anything. I would take that approach over a management group right now that goes out and spends every dollar that they have, every chance they get to spend it. You do not need to approach July 1st every year like a spending spree. You do not need to box yourself into a corner and not leave yourself enough cap space to be able to sign Brock Besser to a long-term extension, to sign a bridge deal because that's the only deal that you have salary cap room to sign. I don't go out and spend all my money at the comic book shop when I know i got to pay rent next week. Foresight sometimes plays into things, and it feels like there's a lack of that sometimes with this team. And, and philosophically, it is hard to get on board with a group that you have seen time and time again make the wrong choices. So stop appealing to authority and telling me that I have to go along with everything that this group does. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Sometimes dumb men get big jobs. We do not live in a meritocracy. If we did, Louis Erickson would not be the 14th forward. And because he is the 14th forward, the Canucks had to wave a defenseman yesterday. Alex Biega, who a loyal soldier, a very good little defenseman who you could put in and would consistently give you a solid performance like once a month or so, once every couple weeks when he drew into the lineup, he'd give you a big jolt of energy. And Travis Green loved him, and he was a very good little depth defender. I don't know why I'm talking about him like he's a tiny little boy. Little cutie out there. Oh, shucks. Look at that Alex Piega. No, I like the Bulldog. Everybody likes the Bulldog. Everybody likes Finn Berchie, too. But um, hard decisions, I guess, had to be made. Bye-bye, Bulldog. Bye-bye, Berchie. And bye-bye, Goldie. Hello, Hockey. Season opener coming up tomorrow night. Yes, we do not have to kick around lineup decisions for the entire show like we did today. I'm excited to preview a game on tomorrow's show. We'll talk about uh, the matchup with the Oilers. The Oilers who could have spent... Been... No, they don't have the salary cap room for that. What am I talking about? The Oilers who have terrible winger depth. The Oilers who are an embarrassment when you look at their roster. Good grief. P.U. Hold the nose. Stinky. <laughs> That's what we got on deck tomorrow. The Canucks open the regular season in Edmonton. Until then, I've been Justin Morissette, and you've been listening to Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.